Welcome back to Minds Matter. It's been a minute. We appreciate that you're back with us. We've been on a little hiatus, um, but we're back with a hot topic, I would say, um, in psychology, in neuroscience, even in philosophy. Um, and today we're going to be talking about empathy. Empathy. And I guess the first thing that you think of is what exactly is empathy? And when I was thinking of that, I thought, well, anyone who knows me, I'm a very emotional per- person. I've been described as emotional sensitive, volatile. (laughs) So does this make me more empathic? Like what's the, that's the, what's the, what is, what exactly is empathy? Yeah, I think that's, that's, that's definitely a good place to start. Um, And (laughs) in the, the stuff that Beth and I have both been reading for this episode, um, that's, that's an important thread. So actually the definition of empathy kind of determines a lot of the outcomes of it, a lot of the debates around it. Um, And as the listener, I would just like to invite you to also do what Beth did, um, to think about (laughs) what empathy means to you. Um, And I found that when I was, you know, doing all this research, that a lot of the, the kind of conceptions that I had of it, even if it was more implicit, like I'd never really thought about it, were challenged. So... What do you think of it? Do you think it's just sharing emotion? Do you think it's um, understanding another person? Is it something that's fixed? Like Beth hinted at the fact that she might be an empathetic person. Um, But is it something that she can control? Is it something that you can control? Just think about those things. And um, maybe your mind will be changed throughout this episode. But Um, so we have a one of the definitions that I mean, that I found might be not helpful, but historically I think it's important to mention. So the philosopher Adam Smith was one of the OG empathy philosophers, and he said empathy is changing places in fancy with the sufferer. So I think that kind of hints at what empathy gets at. Um, But, yeah, we probably should unpack that a little bit more before we start talking about the research. Yeah, so... um... I think that does hint at actually a few aspects of empathy. Um, And so to give a kind of broader definition of what I would say typically now in psychology, in psychology specifically, because I know that in philosophy it's a bit different, um, is is more accepted, although there are psychologists that we'll talk about who only take some of these aspects. But usually um, empathy encompasses two to three sort of um, separate processes. So... You can think about it in terms of if you're sitting with your friend like at dinner and they get a phone call and they start crying, you might go through a few different things. So first, you might feel sad because you're seeing your friend crying. You kind of automatically perhaps uh, have this this feeling of sharing their emotion. Um, But then right after that, you might want to actually understand what's happening. Um, So maybe your friend is like me and cries when they're happy. So maybe they're (laughs) actually super happy. Um, Ava cries to me on the phone a lot, everyone. <laughs> I do. And Beth cries. And in voice memos. <laughs> <laughs> wow, spilling the tea. Okay, so that's one thing. Um, so you're feeling sad for them, which is kind of the emotional sharing, um, emotional aspect of empathy. Um, but then you probably immediately want to know what's going on, like figure out what are they actually thinking. And that's um, 
something that sometimes is referred to as like theory of mind or mentalizing. So that's understanding the thoughts and the feelings of someone else. So actually understanding the kind of cognitive aspect of it. And then the last part of it is that if you see your friend suffering, you might feel concerned and you might want to help them. So there's that emotional part, the cognitive part, and the just concern for another person. And um, a lot of researchers in psychology do see this as like this all kind of encompassing process with these three processes. But there are researchers who, and philosophers who only see um, the kind of true meaning of empathy more perhaps in the Adam Smith way of just being about yeah. sharing the emotions of someone else. So feeling the emotions of another person. Yeah. And particularly, um, there's one researcher that some of you might have heard about if you um, follow empathy research at all or if you follow like top book lists who is against empathy in this particular definition. Um, yeah. and, Full blame. Yeah. And Beth has some has some words. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. So Paul Bloom, he is a professor at Yale and he wrote this book called, yeah, Against Empathy, um, which got a lot of press. So actually one of the articles we have referenced is like an interview he had with Vox. So what he talks about is very accessible. Um, but he thinks that we should try and avoid feeling empathy and his reason for that is, well, if we're feeling the emotion of the other person and that's a negative emotion. Um, so, for example, if I see Ava feeling sad and I pick up on that sadness, that will actually deter me from wanting to help because I'll feel a negative emotion. So he argues for rather than having empathy, we should have compassion because from compa a compassionate standpoint, we can I can feel compassion for Ava feeling sad, but I'm not also carrying that sadness. So that's basically, yeah, he goes into all sorts of examples, but that's his, his overall argument. And I mean, initially it, it, you're like, oh, that's quite compelling. Like that, <laughs> that makes sense. Um, we, yeah, you know, but then I think what's hard is that he, yeah, he, I don't know if his definition of empathy really is um, as maybe maybe it's too exact and empathy is other things like Ava has just mentioned. Um, and I also don't know if we can just have, you can, can you really just feel compassion without never having experienced empathy? I don't know. Because you feel compassion for someone because usually you can understand what they're going through. But if you haven't, you know, felt that through empathy, I don't know if it's that black and white. I think it's nice in an ideal world if we could all just help everyone without feeling sad. <laughs> but I just don't think that's the way it works. Yeah, I think that's that's a good point of like whether these different processes can actually be dissociated because, you know, there's a reason that a lot of researchers put all of these like concern, um, sharing someone else's emotions and understanding someone else in the same kind of bag because they do interact with each other. Um, and obviously in the definitions that we just gave, like the, Paul Bloom is focusing on this very specific form of empathy, whereas other researchers put concern inside of empathy. So what he's arguing for is just like focusing on kind of one aspect of empathy, um, you could say. So on feeling concern for someone else. Um, and I think that maybe we can go into like a couple of the, the arguments that he has. For example... Yeah. 
he which which I think these arguments also um, reveal some underlying beliefs about how empathy kind of works. So um, Paul Bloom, given that he sees it as the sharing pain of others, he sort of um, he gives examples of the fact that this can lead to biased decisions. So um, in studies, we tend to see that um, if you're a white person, you're probably going to be feeling a lot more empathy for white people. If you're a Chinese person, also, they've done studies where if Chinese people are watching um, another Chinese person get pricked by a needle, their brain activation is a lot more um, is a lot more in keeping with like them actually feeling pain themselves. They feel yeah. more empathy also towards that person when they're asked um, compared yeah. to like seeing a white person, for example, getting pricked by a needle. So the idea is that um, empathy in Paul Bloom's definition kind of causes people to make these biased decisions. Um, and that's not good. Um, and he also argues that a lot of kind of political decisions um, are motivated by empathy and that we're essentially manipulated into, um, for example, he his example is, is going to war um, after 9-11 because yeah. uh, there was a lot of focus placed on the the, the pain of um, in-group members or people that are in your group who are um, in the 9-11 attacks. And yeah. he argues, he and some other uh, philosophers and researchers argue that this kind of puts a blinder on you because you're just in this kind of moment of distress where you're feeling the pain of other people and yeah, you're, you're not like, able... by the emotion. Exactly. Yeah. And you're not able to think of the fact that, hey, if we go to war, like hundreds more or thousands more people are going to get hurt um yeah and so the idea but is that we do you should think be that that's really just um acting on empathy I don't know I do think like do you think that maybe those tactics and those reactions and responses we have can we just put that down to empathy or yeah I, don't I know. think I th- yeah I think that's that's a good question and I think that it's I'm going to spoil what I think about this, which is just that um, I think that there's kind of too much emphasis placed on this idea of empathy because it's obviously one thing in like the the vast uh, network yeah. of processes and reasons for doing things that we have. Um, and I think that in general, in research, when you start to research something and when it's your field you see it in everything and you see it as central to everything and um empathy yeah empathy is manipulated but other things are manipulated too there's a lot of stuff yeah um and one thing that i came across when i was kind of looking this stuff up in terms of what actually is empathy was work that basically was saying you know it's it's really not a process in itself it's just like more of an extended decision making process so Some researchers, um, Daryl Cameron, who's at Penn State, and some researchers at the University of Toronto, um, Will Cunningham and Michael Inslicht, they um, put out a paper where they were arguing that empathy is just a part of your general goal pursuit. So as humans, um, we have higher level goals like you want to lead a happy life, you want to have a good job, um, you want to be a good person. Like let's say those are some of your higher level goals. And then constantly you're trying to achieve those goals through lower level goals like making sure that you are feeling okay so that you can continue to you know pursue those higher level goals so like if you feel hungry that's a goal that is going to eventually become so important that you're going to have to eat something and the yeah. idea is that um 
it empathy is basically just another tool in our toolbox to achieve certain goals. So that means that um, in the kind of Paul Bloom example of empathy making us go to war, which I feel like already kind of sounds crazy, um, yes. <laughs> <laughs> that it's not necessarily that empathy is making you go to war, that empathy is being manipulated. It's that this idea of your group being important, that you want to protect um, your, this is also a, a theory in psychology that you want to protect the group that you're in because you want to make sure that you your yeah. group has high status. That's a high level goal that empathy in this case is going to be useful to activate because you're thinking, okay, I need to protect my group. So I'm going to feel empathy for members of my group. Um, yeah. And so the idea then is that empathy, if it's just part a tool in your decision-making process, of course it can lead to bad outcomes, but it doesn't have to lead to bad outcomes. And I think it's undeniable yeah. that um, that empathy, as as Beth just said, that empathy, you know, pushes you to do things. Like I think, for example, you know, this summer, it's pretty undeniable that the fact that we saw this video of like George Floyd or like the Tamir Rices, like every time something like this happens, seeing um one person suffer does push you to act so yeah it can be good and it can be bad um because it's just something that that can either push your goals or it can serve your goals and of course your yeah, goals can be bad or evil but empathy isn't isn't yeah. necessarily either of those things and i think it's that not, in yeah. research a lot of people tend to take you know the paul bloom stance of like yeah it's bad like it's like a hot take and then a lot of other researchers are basically saying that empathy is like the key to unlock everything good in life everything, which yeah. also doesn't make any sense <laughs> um, and I think one of the reasons also that um, empathy is seen this way as this really important um, crazy process is um, certain brain findings that we had like in the last sort of maybe 30 years I think maybe Beth has yeah, some yeah some research about this but for example um mirror neurons were touted by certain researchers as like literally as they said that that mirror neurons were going to be to neuroscience and psychology what finding dna was to biology and but just so everyone case. knows so we give a quick on what a mirror neuron yeah. is so um mirror neurons um yeah they talked a lot about in the empathy field and there's been all these studies there's been various different ones where people watch someone do something or respond in a certain way and the same neurons get activated in their brain as if they were responding in that way or doing it that way. So that's why it's called a mirror neuron because it's it's mirroring the person you're watching even though you're not actually doing that thing or experiencing that thing. So that's where the, the term comes from. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so one of the guys who works on it a lot is actually in the Netherlands um, Christian Kaisers um, and he's, yes, yeah, so he's a Dutch scientist and he does a, a, a lot of I think he's Belgian. Oh. <laughs> just, just, just in case we have any like people who care about those. Dis Sorry if you do care about those distinctions. Sorry guys. I always butcher like that stuff. <laughs> the facts. No, not but he's in the Netherlands. <laughs> like, I mean, you know, but yeah, just Europe. Um, I'm in Australia. You're all just Europeans. <laughs> Um, so one of the studies that he's done, which is actually, um, pretty well known is he, they had, um, participants 
smell like different vials of stuff and some some of it smelled really nice and some of it smelled like awful um and they recorded this so you could see their face like oh that's lovely or oh that's that's disgusting and then they had <laughs> they had people watch these these videos and it was more when it was um they watched someone who smelled something disgusting that had the higher activation within the person who was watching it as well and the the insula in the brain was activated from which is like you know that usually is activated when you have an experience that's disgusting so even though these people didn't experience that or smell that all they did was um look at someone watch a video of someone who did they had the same brain activation well neuron activation and i that is really exciting and it does sound really cool but i know that there's been a lot of research since that has maybe um, these findings aren't as yeah. Well, as Ava was saying, it's not like they've found DNA. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And I think there was kind of a huge hype for mirror neurons um, because like the, the kind of origin story of them was that they were actually discovered first in monkeys. So there was a while where we didn't yeah. really even think that we necessarily we had them. the same mirror neurons um, where they were discovered because I think these researchers were doing um, work in macaques, looking at how their brains activated when they were eating. So they were they were recording yeah. um, these like single cell recordings, which is basically like putting an electrode directly inside a monkey's um, brain. So that's also why we had a hard time figuring out whether we really had them because um, humans don't really like to have their heads open, <laughs> up, but monkeys um, are easier to deal with. That's animal welfare is a whole different topic, but. Um, <laughs> But these researchers were doing this work and then one of, you know, the research assistants who was working on the project was like, they were feeding these monkeys peanuts. And one of the researchers, I guess, decided that he was going to eat his own peanut. And they found that like the same regions that the, the neuron just kind of started going off, that their machine started buzzing. And they realized that this monkey was like seeing this person um, take this action was making yeah. the monkey's um, brain region fire in the same place, basically in a region of the frontal part of the brain um, for like motor commands. So when you have an intention yeah. to, to do something. Um, and yeah, these, these are also super specific, which is also interesting that these neurons like basically fired only for example if um the experimenter was using a hand to pick something up but if they were using a tool then it wouldn't fire so because of yeah. this precision and because um because this was such a crazy kind of discovery at the time it and people didn't really know what they were so that kind of made yeah. scientists imaginations run free <laughs> um but it turns out that um as beth said you know we're not really like we're not really sure whether these actually underlie empathy I'm actually not sure whether I didn't know that the insula, for example, counted as mirror neurons. And to be honest, I'm kind of like I'm still a bit confused as to whether mirror neurons are just like about motor actions or whether they're also about just like the same regions being activated, seeing someone else um, do yep. something vicariously. Sorted. I was also unsure on that. And I also thought because it seemed like every mirror neuron I, paper I read, it was like, and there's another region and another region, exactly. and another region. And it just seemed to be like. Everything is a mirror neuron, and initially yeah. when I learned about it, I didn't think that was the case. I think I and I think that's because it is a debate that certain people, you know, they they 
just as empathy is limited to this idea of experience sharing, certain people only limit limit mirror neurons to just being um, neurons that are part of this motor command region, um, whereas other people would possibly say that you know mirror neurons would also be anything that activates similarly to the person that's actually experiencing it when you watch them experience it, which yeah. you know that also that could also enough. just be processing, like you know processing mm-hmm. what you're seeing. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So there's a lot of unknowns, but the thing is that I think for now, mirror neurons definitely have not been found to like underlie every single process and how yeah. we interact socially, which is what people thought. And it's we're also not sure about empathy in general because um, in some of these studies, when mirror neurons are going off, there isn't necessarily a correlation with how um, empathic people are feeling or how much empathy people yeah. are like actually displaying. Yeah. And since that's that link isn't there, it doesn't really seem that that means that these brain regions are responsible for empathy because when empathy is there, they're not necessarily firing. And when they're firing, empathy isn't necessarily there. Um, yeah. And basically what people think now about these mirror neurons is that they're basically just things that really help us to learn observationally. So um, that help us to kind of pass on maybe culture and one thing that I found super cool about mirror neurons in, yeah. in humans versus in animals is that for monkeys, um, basically, if you're, doing, if you're doing something, their mirror neurons are, as I mentioned, super selective, but they're not just selective for the action that you're taking, but they're selective for yeah. whether the action is useful. So if you're picking up a water bottle and you're picking it up straight and you're able to kind of drink from it, then yeah. their mirror neurons fire. But if you're picking up picking it up upside down and you can't actually do anything with it, then their mirror neurons are not firing. Whereas oh, no way. in humans, basically anything someone else does, like we're here for it. It's firing. Because, <laughs> anything. Because we're basically just so tuned to be able to imitate other humans, like little babies. They, right. They've done experiments where they have where basically monkeys are smarter than babies because if you train a monkey to, or you show a monkey how to like, get a sort of like a candy with like a complicated kind of contraption with a lot of steps um the monkey will learn how to do that just like the baby will learn how to do that or the toddler I guess but if you make the box clear and you show that some of the steps are actually useless steps that they're just like random steps that don't actually help the monkey monkey skips all the useless steps and just does the one step that helps them get oh that's so interesting whatever it is but the kids do all the steps like (laughs) they're just ready to imitate so I think that means that there's something different going on, um, obviously here, but empathy is not necessarily implicated in this mirror neuron um, kind of action, yeah. even though people are still doing this research. So the jury is still kind of out, but it's not like yeah. the hype that it was 20 years ago, at least. Um, yeah. And then, yeah, so I, this is kind of connected to, cause there's a lot of, I was also reading on the evolution of empathy and like why we have it. And I feel like some of the things you've just touched on have given examples of maybe why we, I don't know, depending on the definition, why we might have this. So like, obviously we have mirror neurons for these reasons, like for the reasons of learning from others and things like that. Um, but some of the arguments for, you know, that empathy is something that we've evolved with and it's with us is looking at empathy in other animals. And also empathy in monkeys. And I read this article and I was in tears. So anyone who's <laughs> sensitive, I mean, I'm not going to go through Too all empathetic. of the studies, um, but I'm going to go through this one because it is interesting. Also, I worked 
with monkeys before. So I think I also felt some guilt. So I think it was also that. Explain explain uh, what you mean by work with monkeys, Beth, because I think. So, so, sorry, guys. Might. When I was, um, I worked, at, when I worked in a lab in New York, we were um, doing Alzheimer's research and we had to do testing um, on monkeys because you have to do that before, you know, because it was such in, you know, it was going to be brain surgery. You can't do the clinical trials directly from mice to people. You need a step to test on monkeys. Um, and it was, you know, it's, it's for important stuff, but yeah, it's always, I don't know. I've never really felt great about that. Um, so anyway, I was reading about the evolution of empathy and all these different monkey studies. And I think we've spoken about this podcast and this podcast before about how in the sixties, like in psychology, people just went rogue and you could basically do whatever you want to people, animals, anything. So there was this study at Northwestern and um, it was in 1964 and they put, I don't even know why I'm explaining that because it's important. (laughs) They put monkeys in separate cages. um, So they're like all monkey friends. And then they could, (laughs) I'm projecting on the story now. (laughs) I don't know if they're all monkey friends. That's exactly what the paper said. They were all monkey friends. (laughs) (laughs) And they could only eat by pulling a lever. So they could only get food by pulling a lever. And one of the monkeys, so, but when you pulled the lever, another monkey got zapped and they got zapped strongly enough that there was a, you know, physical reaction and the monkey was in pain. Like an electric shock. Yeah, an electric shock. And when the monkeys did this and realized this, they starved themselves for 12 days because they would not pull the lever to hurt the other monkey. Wow. Um, and until the point, even these researchers were like, okay, we just have to feed them. But for 12 days, they wouldn't, they wouldn't eat. And then there's a lot of other accounts of people. I mean, this isn't studies where people who work with monkeys in zoos and everything and this empathy that they show. It was funny though, because at the end of the article and I'm all emotional, they said, but in the wild, if a, another monkey comes into the monkey's tribe, they'll beat them to death against a tree. And I was like, okay, I don't have to oh be that upset. <laughs> They're not all caring, loving, and starving themselves. That's really interesting, though. That in in the wild they would be so aggressive and so, but so like outsiders, each other yeah. And, to their own, they would have that, but yeah, to mm, to, other, to other monkeys. That's really um, interesting. So I, I thought that was pretty amazing. They didn't twelve days not eating. I don't know if I could do that for you, but no, I'm kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't even know that you could survive for twelve days without eating. To be honest. Um, but yeah, I think that idea also of of um, the fact that in the wild they would be like slamming unknown monkeys away <laughs> also kind of speaks to this this idea that's sort of ingrained about the fact that like the Paul Bloom stuff of empathy being um, limited to only our group. And it seems yeah. like it's Yeah, that's that what way. I was thinking. Yeah. Um, and yeah, like mice also they've also they're still doing empathy research on mice and even mice, they have this emotional contagion where they'd also do these kind of terrible experiments where they make a mouse, like they give them electric shocks or make them freak out. And if there's a mouse next to them that also is undergoing the same thing, they measure it by measuring how much they squeal, like how much they're writhing and like doing like mouse screams. And they scream more when there's another mouse also being tortured. Oh, so, God. Yeah, it's a pretty kind of ancient thing, this emotional contagion. Um, and there are theories as to why it evolved. But like any 
any of other the other things that we've talked about, I think the kind of for me the lesson is like it can go either way. So like you could argue that um that it evolved so that we can cooperate, so that we can understand each other, so that we can, you know, live in a fairy tale land. But you can also argue that it evolved so that we could screw each other over, so that we could know yeah, how yeah. to hurt each other, compete and like understand. Yeah. yeah, and know yeah. how to hurt the other person. Um, and I think either of those things, in a way, it doesn't necessarily even matter how it evolved or why it evolves, because there are tons of things um, that evolved in ways that, like, we don't use them anymore. Like, in yeah. our ears, like, the bones that allow us to to kind of, like, parse information in music and in speech, those yeah. started, like, those evolved because when we were like crocodiles, like crocodile type things, we that was just what we used to like crush our prey. But obviously we're not using it for that, for, for that anymore. So the right, fact right. that even if empathy did evolve um, to screw each other over, it doesn't mean that we're, we have to use it that way. It doesn't mean that it's necessarily bad. Um, yeah. So. Yeah. Um, and also there's a, there's a lot of research going into the moment that we're losing empathy Mm -hmm. um, and that we're becoming like a narcissistic. I mean, a lot of this also, again, is like hard, like, oh my God, millennials and whatever else. But (laughs) there is, I was looking, there is some actual research about how we're becoming more egocentric. And I actually found this study, which I thought was really cool by Claude Lam and he's at the University of Vienna. And he does a lot on like the self and other distinction so because obviously so he's also does philosophy like that's important when considering empathy because you have to consider yourself and the other um and he did this study where okay so I'll explain it you you were sitting at a screen and you put your hand um under a, a felt thing and you couldn't see what you were feeling so you felt something nice or awful so you felt like a pillow or I don't know what else feels nice or like (laughs) something terrible like slimy and there was someone behind you doing the same thing but you couldn't see them and on the screen you could see um what you were touching and then they put up a photo of what the other person was touching like the actual thing that they were touching yeah so like if they're touching something terrible or whatever and you had to report on how you were feeling and you also had to report on how the other person was feeling given the information you had and if someone was feeling something disgusting, but you were feeling something good, you were less likely to think that they were suffering. Mm. Whereas if they were feeling something good and you were feeling something bad, you were more likely to think that you were less likely to rate how pleasant their experience was. Mm. So basically, however you were feeling projected exactly on how you interpreted the other person to be feeling. Mm. So I think people experience that like if you're happy, you think everyone else is happy. If you're sad, you see everyone else is sad. So that's like a common thing. But what they did do is that they found that when people were um, not as in touch with the other person, so they were more reporting on their feelings rather than understanding what the other person was feeling, they didn't see as much um, activation in the right Oh my god! I hate saying all these brain names. <laughs> Super marginal gyrus. Was that right, Ava? Um, I think it's gyrus, but I'm not sure. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, everyone. We're um, the R- We're neuroscientists. <laughs> R N R S M G. And 
So when people were having these more egocentric moments, so it's called a um, egocentric bias. Like it's a thing that that we have when people were having that more, um, they had less activation of the RSMG. And this region has been associated with empathy. So what they did was they used this transcranial magnetic stimulation. Mm -hmm. So this is TMS. So this like uses a magnetic field to stimulate a certain area of the brain. So they use this on the, to activate the RSMG when um, participants were in this, this, this experiment. And when they did this and they activated the RSMG more, they felt more empathy. So basically this, this paper showed that that's a way we can like suppress this egocentric bias that we have. Um, so I thought that was pretty, pretty interesting. And then they have some pretty crazy conclusion about how maybe this can help the narcissistic epidemic. And I thought, so we're just going to walk around with like magnets on our heads. Oh my God. I think there oh. are, there possibly are easier things <laughs> That could <laughs> um, yeah, that's really interesting. I think I, I always like those studies that show that if you mess around with the biology, then there you is can outcomes. change who you are. Yeah, that's crazy. But I mean, I I also think like it, like there are reasons for the fact that we've become less empathetic. That like people report being less empathetic that have to do more with our circumstance than our brains and like. <laughs> We could maybe change those things or do that before we walk around with like magnets <laughs> on our heads. Um, yeah. Okay. It's the only option. We've gone too far. Yeah. But I think that's actually really interesting because I feel like that's sort of an argument for the idea that, um, that empathy in the sense of sharing someone's emotions can be sort of divorced from thinking about what they're actually feeling yeah. because I think you know typically when we talk about theory of mind or like cognitive empathy so thinking about like what someone else is actually thinking and feeling and why there's this there's this kind of saying of it's putting yourself in someone else's shoes which makes sense yeah but I feel like um in this study they found that they were basically like putting on like not putting themselves in someone else's shoes, but just like putting the shoes onto themselves, you know? Yeah, yeah. And, and saying, yeah, that's, yeah. And I feel like that's sort of an issue that can happen with with this idea or this argument that empathy is actually bad for for morality or bad for, um, you know, leading a, an ethical life. Because if you're completely divorcing um, what you're feeling from thinking about the other person, then you could just be thinking about the other person, you know, in a way that is not actually about them. That's just about how you would feel in that situation. Yeah. Because I think, you know, if you're that you're not necessarily always putting yourself in someone else's shoes when you're seeing them go through something, because like an example is obviously if you see someone getting stabbed, you'll be like, wow, that looks terrible. But if some if you're not someone who enjoys like sadomasochism, but the person that you're watching get stabbed does. And they're like just vibing, like they have like a happy expression <laughs> on their face. You're not gonna feel what they're feeling. You're still gonna just be thinking, feel, how yeah, would I feel in that example. position? Yeah. Like not in their shoes, yeah. but putting those shoes on to yourself. Yeah. Um, yeah. So I think that is a way that these kinds of like three 
sort of aspects of empathy can sometimes be divorced from each other. And obviously, like, then it's not very useful to to just feel those emotions because you're actually not even thinking about the other person. About the other person, yeah. Um, and I think the idea also of um, the fact that empathy has diminished in the last, you know, few decades um, is important because I think it also speaks to this question of what exactly is empathy. Because if you think yeah. that empathy is a trait, if you think that it's a resource that there's just like a tiny amount of that you can deplete, that mm-hmm. that's super alarming. If you think, okay, everyone's just yes. becoming less empathetic and that's just how it is. Um, that's, yeah. that's scary. But a lot of researchers argue that, you know, that's, that's not the case, that it's actually a lot more like a skill. So we can change things on purpose. So we don't have to necessarily, you know, go biologically and, and mess with our brains. <laughs> we can just train <laughs> ourselves to get better at it. Um, and they've done some studies on this where, something that some people might be familiar with is this idea of like growth mindsets versus fixed mindsets, which people might be familiar with in the context of like um, intelligence and kids thinking either that intelligence is fixed or intelligence is something that you can just get better at. Um, And they found that kids who believe that they can change, basically that you're better off if you think you can change, but that implies also that you can. Um, And so they've done research also looking at this idea and empathy. So they've, so they've um, had at Stanford, there's a researcher who does a lot of work on empathy called Jamil Zaki. And then the kind of big name in um, this growth versus fixed mindset is Carol Dweck. So they work together on looking at how this works in empathy. So they had um, people come in and either read that empathy was like a little text about empathy being a fixed trait that some people just have more of or less of, or read a text about the fact that it's a skill that you can develop And they found that when people believed it was a skill, they spent more time on average listening to the struggles of someone who was a different race. So they were put in a room and they had like a tape of someone who was just talking about their experiences, but they were allowed to fast forward. So the people who Mm -hmm. thought empathy is just fixed, they fast forward through it a lot faster. Really? Yeah. And they were just like, I don't care. Um, (laughs) But people who were told that it was a skill were like, okay, well, I can try and I can engage. Um, and they were able to actually engage and be more empathetic. And they also have done studies where they've done the same kind of manipulation. And they found that um, politically, people are more willing after they, or when they think that empathy is uh, something that you can train, they're more willing to listen to their political opponents um, and more willing to like try to engage with that. And I think that right. that's something we probably should all be trying to do a bit be more. And yeah, so it kind of speaks to this idea that empathy is something that you can motivate and that you can change. And just the mere fact of realizing that, I think, influences this idea of the framework and goal pursuit where you're just thinking, okay, like if I know that empathy works in this way or if I know that it's part of a decision-making process, something that I can change, then you're going to be more willing to integrate it into your decision-making process and you're going to think about it um, in more of kind of a reasonable way. Um, and like getting to that, I think we can talk maybe a little bit about some interventions that we could do besides that, that aren't fucking with our brains. Um, (laughs) yeah, not putting on a magnet hat. Um, and one study that I thought was really cool was, um, also I think this is super in keeping with the idea of goal pursuit of the fact that like you have higher level goals that are influencing how you're deploying empathy where um, they went into a seventh grade class 
And they basically like convinced seventh graders that empathy was cool. And they- <laughs> How did um, they do that? <laughs> so they they found that like seventh graders actually did think that it was important, but they kind of told them oh. that their that it was, that like their friends thought it yeah. was cool and that it was important. And they showed like a little video of like empathy is cool. And then yeah. the manipulation that they did was that they had um, everyone write why they thought it was important and how they thought that the rest of the class felt about it. And then they printed out all of the answers and gave it to like everyone. So they had, mm -hmm. so these kids basically had like, like first a video telling them it was cool, but then they also had yeah. their, the actual opinions of the other people in their class. And it, and it made them more empathetic. It made them listen more compared to a seventh grade class that didn't have that manipulation. Um, and so basically if you're just like fitting it into your goals, then you're able yeah. to be more empathetic. Um, so I guess it's something like we can, yeah, work on like, I don't know, the, like a habit, you exactly. know, like and how we would do like with concentration or I don't know, a routine or something you can also, which I think makes sense because empathy does involve things like listening and, you know, considering and those are things that you can put in effort and time to do, you know, and I, you have a choice to do that. Yeah. I think something to keep in mind though, is that like, as we've said, it can be bad. So like think yeah. about whether in that situation, whether it's something that you do want to do. Um, but also yeah. I think knowing that you can do it if you want to, that's something super important, but that sometimes you might not want to because it does take effort and it can be painful. And there are studies that show that, um, that people don't want to engage because they know that it's going to be painful. And that's why people decide yeah. to remove themselves from situations. Like in the seventies, they did some studies looking at um, like putting charity tables in front of um, in front of universities. And they yeah. found that like, if there was just a charity table that said like charity that people, you know, they would engage a certain amount. Yeah. But then if there was like a picture of like a dying child, they would yeah, walk, they, they measured how like the circumference sort of of like how far they would walk away from the table. People like really avoided the table, like the plague. <laughs> Same if there was someone sitting there who was in a wheelchair, they also walked Oh, way no. further way further around because they knew that you know they didn't want to engage so that's yeah. that's also like a paul bloom type argument um but that it doesn't necessarily have to be that way and if you know these things about how you react um you might force yourself to say like no i'm, I'm gonna try today like it's not that i yeah. i can't do it it's that i it's that i don't want to but i should make myself want to but and I that's should, yeah that's an important distinction that we actually didn't super talk about is this idea that if you think empathy is a trait then there's this this kind of secondary idea that then um, you just can't do it, like that it's impossible for you to do it. You right. don't have the capacity. Yeah. However, if you think it's a skill, then it's more about I'm unwilling to do it. So it's a capacity versus willingness thing. And they right. found this in a lot of things. So they found it um, like Christian Keezers that Beth already mentioned. They did um, a study looking at psychopaths and psychopaths often you think, well, they can't empathize. Um, oh yeah, I read, yeah. But they basically found like that if on a baseline condition, they when you had to kind of tell what someone else was thinking, they were not doing well. But if they were like, hey, if the researcher said, hey, try to do this and, you know, just then try it and they could do it, then they were perfectly fine yeah. at doing it. So They're that's like not to have it. Exactly. Yeah. It's a choice. Um, and yeah. there are also some really fun studies that they've done looking at gender differences. I think that's probably something that a lot of people maybe think even like first about empathy that women are more empathetic whatever that means yeah um I think what it means is actually what this study found where they had men and women come in do this task 
And if it was mm-hmm. just a task where they weren't actually told what they had to do, then there was like there was a gender difference um, where it was like I think the task was like um, maybe reading the mind in the eyes, which is a task where you just see someone's eyes and um, you have to guess what okay. emotion they're feeling just by their eyes. Um, and so women were like doing marginally better than men if they if they weren't told what what the task was actually about. But then if women were told this is an empathy task, we're testing your empathy, women were more motivated and there was a bigger gap because they thought, oh, as a woman, I should be good at this. I should be good at this. But then they did a third check, which was telling them we're going to pay you based on your accuracy. Then men did just as well. (laughs) Then men were like, okay, I can do it too. (laughs) So I think that's kind of an important way to view empathy is like, you know, sometimes people just don't want to. And they've also done studies where they tell straight guys that girls like sensitive guys and then they do great too. <laughs> so it's all about, you know, it's all about your goals. It's all about how you use it really at the end yeah, of the day. What you want. Yeah. Oh, dear. yeah. <laughs> so, I mean, for me, when I like, if I like, we can wrap up, like for me, when I, when I started thinking about this, I feel like in psychology, empathy is like this big thing that I honestly had not thought super deeply about, but that I know is like an important construct in things that I'm interested in, which is like intergroup stuff and like how people relate to one another. Um, But after doing this reading, I feel like I'm like, okay, it's important to understand it. It's important to kind of see it as this renewable resource, like and just a tool that you can use for good or bad, but also like look beyond it because I think it's true that it's not the main kind of thing that is going to determine how society works. And it's just another tool in the toolbox for me. Um, And I feel like with so many of the studies that we went over, yeah, it could be considered empathy, but it could have been considered other things. I feel like, yeah, it's obviously important and interesting, but yeah, I don't feel like it's the be all and all and, everything we do stems from this and it's really bad or it's really good. I think it's, it's one thing. And I, yeah. And I don't think it's controlling how we respond to everything. Um, Yeah. I think it's, it's interesting, but I don't, yeah, I think I did the same thing. I came in being like, Oh my God, I'm going to know all this stuff about everything. And then classic, it was like, Oh, I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. But I think, I mean, I think it's like, if you look at it as, in this framework of it being a tool, I think it's clear that it's um, that it's a very important tool that it can be deployed in all these ways. But it's yeah. not. It's in a way like, especially looking at it from this goal pursuit framework, it's like it's just one other thing that we have. Um, yeah, and we have a lot of other stuff, and we have to put it in the framework of the rest of our goals. So we have to be clear yeah. about like if we're talking about it in the context of morality that empathy isn't going to help you become a perfect moral person. In fact, it could hinder you. So you have to always be thinking about um, what do I actually want to get out of this? Who do I actually want to help? Yeah. And yeah. So I'm really curious as to if if we changed any minds, if you cared about this topic to begin with. I feel like I'm an oofa. Will Beth become less emotional? (laughs) No. (laughs) (laughs) We're going to start putting out like class surveys. How much did you care about this topic before you started the course? How much did you learn? Let us know. 
we missed you guys. We're glad to be back. We were on hiatus, but yeah. um, we'll be coming out with, with some more stuff. So stay we, tuned we and stay empathetic, but stay smart. <laughs> All right. We'll get Glacio to take us out as usual. Thank you.